Welcome to the CFC Jacks Midweek Podcast, where we discuss topics related to becoming a fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ follower. We hope that wherever you are today, you'll be encouraged by the truths discussed in this podcast. Well, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us for Q&A. This is your opportunity to text in questions from the sermon. We have some that have already come in, but if you have something stirring in your heart and your mind this morning, we would encourage you to text it in today. It's a great way to have those questions answered. So I I love that we walk through this, the life of Jesus like this so specifically Mm -hmm. and calling out all of these details it's just such a great reminder, no matter how often you hear the Christmas story and then you you know, study through the New Testament, right. the life of Christ, but to really dig into this and the power of the life that he lived, that it was so unique and the impact that has. Yeah. Well, um, again, I probably, well, not probably, I was definitely uh, making the greater case for the humanity of Jesus than necessarily the of Jesus. So if a listener was like, oh man, I get that he was a man. I'm not sure that he was God. I, I do recognize I weighted it towards the humanity of Jesus because quite frankly, I think uh, where people might wrestle with the intellectual, uh, how could he be a man and God? Was he really God? Um, unmistakable in his life that that's exactly what he was claiming, and people knew that that's what he was claiming. And when we get to the resurrection, we'll see that by his doing exactly what he said would do, that uh, the famous uh, triad that C.S. Lewis developed was either he was a liar, a lunatic, or he was Lord. In other words, he was telling Mm -hmm. the truth. So uh, we'll get to that I think that will be demonstrated even more clearly as we look then at his resurrection. Uh, I think as Christians, what I was attempting to address was that we minimize oftentimes the humanity of Jesus, and therefore he becomes totally separate from us, and he's a a great ideal example, but he's not real. To us, because he wasn't really human, and I think the scripture indicates that apart from the fact that because he did not have uh, an earthly father, therefore did not have a sin nature, he really did live with weakness that he could understand in our weakness. Mm. So, just restating what I think is so important for mm-hmm. us to understand about the person of Jesus. In continuation of that question here um, regarding his sin nature, if Jesus was born without sin nature, then he was, oh, then was he ever really tempted? Does he actually know what it's like to be tempted if he didn't have a sin nature? Was it ever even a struggle? Yeah, see, that's, uh, this is where Adam actually does help us. Adam didn't have a sin nature. Mm-hmm. We inherited that af- from Adam after his sin. But was temptation real for him? Hmm. Clearly, it was temptation uh, for him and for Eve because it says that she saw the food that God had said, don't eat, and it was desirable to the eyes, and it was desirable, uh, and so she she took. So uh, to think that, therefore, temptation wasn't real doesn't make any sense then in the account of Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve. Hmm. So there you have... A real human, <laughs> without a sin nature, 
actually, this is my appreciation for Jesus, living in a perfect world in perfect relationship and still yielding to temptation, Jesus uh, not having a sin nature, living in a fallen world in fallen relationship, being tempted but never sinning. So yes, I think just because there's not a sin nature doesn't mean it's not real. It might help to think of it this way. Uh, we're tempted by the world, we're tempted by the devil, and we're tempted by our own sinful desires. So uh, there's still real temptation that was true for Jesus, Adam, and Eve as it is for us, but it, but not from every source since they didn't, since those three didn't have a sin nature, but it's still real. Otherwise, Adam and Eve wouldn't have yielded. I've never thought about that, that Adam, who had been no. without sin. Was really tempted. Was tempted. Yes. And gave in to that. Yes. Interesting. I, I, part of me, I'm like, why did I never realize that before? But that's yeah. one of those wow yeah. moments. Interesting. Great question. Glad we got there. I'm learning a lot this morning. The light bulbs are coming on everywhere. This morning, I know. Uh, Question here regarding desire. Can you define sexual desire? I'm having a hard time comprehending what it looks like when it has not turned dark. So you talked about turning from nitrogen dark. So that clarity on that turn. Yeah. um, I totally agree. It's, It's so hard to imagine. And so uh, I'm not sure I can do a sufficient job, but I'll, I'll try to put some words to it. The God gave sexual desire as a good gift because it was clearly present again before Adam and Eve sinned. Chapter 2, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there was... Uh, desire there between male and female, but it wasn't perverted in any way whatsoever. It was between a husband and a wife. So where there is sexual desire that gets fanned, maybe that's the best way to say it, imagine a a flame, a God-given flame. When it's fanned, therefore inflamed or applied in any situation outside of husband and wife, then that's the it turning dark, to use the expression mm-hmm. that I used. But so the best I can do is say when there is genuine, not selfishness, uh, but at a reflection of love and a reflection of oneness of which sexual desire is a part of between a husband and a wife, that is sexual desire that hasn't gone dark. Jesus, and here I'll grant this, Jesus never being married, never had opportunity to even express it in rightness, in light. But to say that he didn't have it would take him out of being human. So I don't don't know if that helps or not. I can't see the person, so I don't know if you're nodding with me. (laughs) Um, That's the best I can do, Mm. for now, anyway. (laughs) Um, And then another conversation along those lines. Um, I agree that sexual desire is a gift from God, but what about homosexual desire? Is that a gift from God also? Um, 
Yeah, let me. Thanks for asking that. Uh, no, not at all. That is one of the examples of sexual desire uh, going dark. Clearly, God-given sexual desire was for the husband and the wife. So, uh, sexual desire for a woman that's not my wife—that's gone dark. For another man, that's gone dark. And and I don't mean this in a mean or rude way, but according to Romans chapter 1, that's not only going dark, that's going darker. Mm-hmm. Because there is there is the replacing what God's Word said with own desires, and our desires become more and more depraved, more and more dark, more and more twisted and perverted. That's a little bit of what I was getting at last week. And so there was uh, the attack, desire for sexual desire applied outside of marriage. Now sexual desire applied outside of gender. That's a, that's a growing darker. That is not of the Lord. Now this whole a sexual desire to be expressed outside of species, bestiality, mm-hmm. that's going darker. So uh, anytime it moves away from a husband and a wife, not just a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, then sexual desire has been perverted from what God intended. But given to a man, given to a woman to be expressed in the context of marriage between a husband and wife, God-given and good. The God's design. So is that clear? Homosexuality. That is not from the Lord. That is a Mm -hmm. perversion of a desire from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, Next question here is actually referring back to Hebrews 4.15, said in the Hebrews passage, it refers to Jesus as high priest. What is yes. the significance of this reference of Jesus as that? Okay, great. I appreciate that. Uh, Hebrews, by the name, you can understand it was written to Jewish people who had now placed faith in Jesus. And so it's helping them to understand some of their previous Jewish customs and practices to be understood through now the work of Jesus. So what a Jewish person would have understood growing up was that there was a position within the priesthood who would serve as mediators, if you will, between man and God by the offering of sacrifices for sin, not of a human, but by an animal, that that would have been part of Jewish practice, and priest would have been the mediators who would have fulfilled that practice. There was one individual, the high priest in Jewish law, that would once a year go into the what was called the Holy of Holies. There's the temple of which Mankind, humanity was not permitted to go within the temple. There's the temple grounds outside where all Jews could go. Within the temple, only the priest, and then a small section within the temple, the Holy of Holies. And that was limited to one man, one day a year. And that was for the high priest, where they would take the blood of an animal and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkling the blood on that as a reflection of that blood is atoning, covering for the sin of Israel as a nation for that year. 
Again, this was a fulfillment of what we first see of an animal being killed in Genesis 3 and sin being covered through death by God. That is broadened, but the high priest was the one who did once a, one time a year for the whole nation. Hebrews is helping the person who grew up with that practice. Gentiles didn't grow up with that practice, so I have to explain what was the shadow that became the substance of Jesus. Hebrews is explaining people who already understood the shadow, the high priest, Jesus now is the fulfillment of the high priest. He, one sacrifice for all time, not once a year, but for all time, not the blood of an animal, but his own blood and his own blood that was without sin, because he did not sin, could cover the sin, the penalty that all men owed by the giving of his life. So he is the high priest in that regard, the one who would make intercession between man and God, and by his death he did it once for all, what a high priest would do once a year through the death of an animal. There's a lot to explain. That's the difficulty of actually, honestly, teaching through Hebrews. Mm. It's teaching Gentiles the substance of a shadow, and they don't know what the shadow was, so to appreciate the substance, they have to first learn the shadow. Jewish people who were reading Hebrews, they understood the shadow completely. I can imagine that being a very powerful picture for someone who grew up in the Hebrew tradition to say, wait a minute, that's gone. Yes. That one man who was probably very distant, you know. Yes. Right. Almost unimpeachable. Right. You have this high priest who sympathizes with you. Right. And he's not taking the blood of an animal, mm -hmm. Hebrews says. He's taking his own blood, and it's once for all. It's not the continual sacrifice because he paid the debt fully and completely. Where an animal could only cover sin, Jesus, by his blood, could remove the penalty for sin. Big difference between covering it and removing it. Right. That's the power of Colossians 2, 13 and 14, that he has taken it out of the way. If, if there's a mess, you can... Do one of two things. Cover it up. Would you tell me if there's a roach in your house, you put a cup over it into it? I do and let my yeah. husband get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I put a clear one so you know it's there. Yeah. So that's a covering. Yes. And then she depends upon her husband to come and take it out of the way. Uh -huh. Animals could only cover sin. Jesus and Jesus alone could take the penalty out of the way. He's such a powerful illustration. Yes. yes. The more you understood the, sh hmm. the shadow, the greater your appreciation for the substance. So many light bulbs in my head this morning. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, so w we walked through a lot this morning of um, a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties, uh, really focusing on the Lord as, as Christ is sympathizing with us. For the person who's in the midst of that who's dealing with those really, really hard struggles. You gave some examples, whether it's betrayal, yeah. abandonment, yeah. all of those. What, what, what is your encouragement this morning to take the next step? Yeah, my encouragement. Thanks for... Um, we stated twice Hebrews 4, 15, the, the life that he lived. Uh, and, and again, that was... Um, do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but 
one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That's the setup for the next verse. So here's my encouragement. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in your grief, in your sorrow, in your abandonment, in betrayal, it's not shaking a fist at God saying, you don't, don't understand, why would you let that happen? It's saying, God, you do understand, and you never grew bitter. You never retaliated. You never took revenge. See, that's what I was thinking as I was walking from the service over to here to Q&A. Just the, that he experienced what you're experiencing but didn't grow bitter. And the point is, draw near to him so you don't grow bitter as well. To believe that when the psalmist says he is near the brokenhearted, he's near the brokenhearted, not because he pities us, but because he knows that grief, he knows that pain. And in the same way, here would be an example. In the same way I can connect to a person who has lost their father, earthly father now, since I lost my earthly father, that's the way he can connect us because he been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Been there, experienced that. He's walked it. Theoretically, I could seek to minister a man who lost his father prior to me losing my father, but it was a different experience for me. I actually knew, wow, what that feels like to lose a father that changes how I can minister to somebody. That's my encouragement, that if you will believe that Jesus has been tempted like you've been tempted, suffered as you've been have you been as you have suffered? Now, let me make sure here. If someone's going, also, oh, if I'm tempted uh, toward homosexual desire, that means Jesus was tempted ho- toward homosexual desire? No, 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 no. Not in that specific way. He was tempted to exercise desire outside of God's intention. That can come in any form. So he was tempted to exercise desire outside of God's intention but never took the bait. He suffered as we have suffered, but he never took the bait to become bitter or to retaliate or to say, well, you've hurt me. I am now justified in hurting you. I see that so often when a spouse is hurt by a spouse, there's then this justification that I can hurt them because they have hurt me. And and Jesus gone is saying, I've been betrayed and I've been abandoned, but I did not grow bitter. I did not retaliate. I did not curse. I blessed. I loved. I was patient. Draw near to me and you can find me to be all you need in that time of need. That's what I hope people will take away. It's an incredible gift. An encouragement, yes. incredible gift. And so we're th- thankful for all your questions. And if we can come alongside you in prayer this week, would you let us know if you're struggling through really mm. anything? It's good. It would be a privilege to do that. So you can text us on this number. You can reach out to us here at the church through the phone, email, whatever. We're here for you. And so we're grateful you joined us this morning and hope you have a great afternoon. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the CFC Jacks podcast. Be sure to watch as we release new teachings weekly, along with additional content during the week. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.cfcjacks.com. Thanks for listening.